This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Hello, 11 a.m. service. How are you guys doing today? Wow, praise the Lord. Amen. You know, anytime you come into the house of the Lord, you always have to be expect- expectant that something is going to happen I'm always expecting that God's going to do something. I don't care what you do, God, just do something because I just want to receive the blessing that the Lord has for me for that day. Amen? And uh, it is an honor, and today is no different because I believe that God wants to do something in our house this morning. Amen. All right, would you do me a favor and help me welcome all those that are watching online? Let them know. All right, yeah, let them know God is about to do something even as they're watching online. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Tondurai, and I am one of the pastors here at New Song, and I serve on a discipleship and member care. And those are pretty much the two things that I absolutely love. Number one is the Word of God and just getting deeper into the Word, and number two is people. So I'm in a perfect spot, and I love being in the spot uh, that I am and being able to release my gifts to this house in order that we can glorify God together. Um, How many of y'all have enjoyed this series, Fill the Earth? Yeah, it's been been great. It's a very deep series, just getting deeper into the Word, uh, maybe even more so than we have in the the past, because there's a lot of allegorical and symbolic teaching that is taking place in this series. And I hope you're doing yourselves a great big favor by going back at home and looking at these things and making sure you cement your understanding on, on what is happening. And we've been talking about Eden a lot, taking our cue from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, when God instructs men to fill the earth. And so a lot of Eden has been said because this mandate was given to men while he was in Eden. But when you come to New Testament uh, reading or New Testament writings, you don't see much of the word Eden. And so I kind of wanted to connect the two so that you can see that Eden is still something that even the New Testament writers were proclaiming or talking about. Because Eden is the same as kingdom. Eden equals kingdom. You see, when God planted the Garden of Eden, that was the representation of the kingdom of God here on earth. And there are three things that make up a kingdom that I want to talk about. In a kingdom, you have, obviously, a king. Okay? No sense in having a kingdom if you don't have a king. So you have a king, and the second thing that you have in a kingdom is territory. You can be a king, but if you're without territory to rule and govern, then you're just a king alone. And then the third thing is ownership. Ownership speaks to authority and power that you can exert your will and intent on the territory that you are governing or that you have. So this is similar even when you look at Eden, because in Eden, you have a gardener who is God. And then you have the garden, which is Eden, and he has ownership in which he exerts his intent and authority to it. And so if we see it from this perspective, then we see that Eden, again, is something that God wants us to carry within our hearts in as much as we're carrying the the kingdom. So Eden is a representation of God's kingdom on earth. Now, in order for a king to exercise power, a king needs more territory. The more territory he has, the more influence he can exert. So when God says, fill the earth, it's the same order as expanding the kingdom of God here on this earth. And that was God's plan all along. And that is what I want us to talk about today is God's plan all along. Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you for this very moment this time that we sit here together and we've, we've congregated together in search of you, your wisdom, your truth, your instructions, your way. I pray that you are present in my heart, that you take my hand, that I walk with you. I ask that you lead this moment to make it meaningful. For without you, all we are doing is nothing. Without you, all we are doing is meaningless and lacks substance. But only with you 
Are we able to make sense of things? Only in you do we find meaning and only in you do we find truth. So as we meet today, I pray that you are with us. I pray that you're with me and I hold your hand and take the lead. You take the lead and I follow. I honor you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1884 to 1885, if you've had the opportunity to study world history, there was this meeting that happened in Berlin, and which was then coined the Berlin Conference. A bunch of European nations came together at the city, and their purpose was to divide the continents of Africa and South America so that they would take position. Because they understood in their minds that the more territory they had, the more that they could exert their own intent and their own will upon the places in which they were to take over. Many of these countries today speak languages that are of European descent because of that meeting that took place. But the principle that they were exercising and understanding is that for a king, in order for a king or a kingdom to be considered powerful, it was determined based on the amount of land or the amount of territory that they had, meaning the more territory you possess, the more powerful you are. But this idea does not come from men. Because God created the heavens and the earth, and the Bible tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so he was building a kingdom, and in this kingdom, he was going to have you and I be a part of his family in which we are the citizens of his kingdom so that he could exert his will and intent in our lives. And his will and intent is a good thing. It's not like men. It is a good thing in that it empowers who we are and gives us identity and allows us to worship in his truth and in his awesome love, which is why he walked with Adam in the cool of the day. But the enemy took away that which did not belong to him. So then God was instituting a plan because his desire from the very beginning was to fill the earth. And so now it changed as an expansion of his kingdom being taking back what the enemy had stolen from men. And so God because he, um, because he wanted Eden to flourish within the earth. He wanted Eden not to be just locked in one geographical location. He wanted his kingdom to expand. So if we go back to Eden, we can understand, fill the earth in these terms. Here is Eden expanded. But then there was a problem. Sin came in around Eden as Adam failed to be faithful. When Adam failed to be faithful, then it became difficult for men who, who were the agents that he chose to carry out this mandate to do so because they were banished from Eden. So they did not have a reference point of what Eden is or a reference point of what king, God's kingdom is because they were banished from it. The moment I say Eden or anyone, anybody says Eden, I guarantee it in our minds different thoughts create of what Eden could look like. The picture that you have would be different from mine and the concept that you might have of Eden is different from mine. Why? Because we're no longer in Eden for us to have a reference point of what it is. And so because we lack the reference points and understanding of what Eden is, it becomes difficult to carry the mandate to fill the earth with it. Because we don't understand what it is, we don't fully grasp what it is, it becomes difficult to expand it. It becomes difficult to fill the earth with the concept of Eden. But the mandate stayed the same. It didn't change. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. If he speaks a word, he says, it will not return to him void. It will accomplish that which he sent it out to do. And so because he had already issued the mandate, it was still going to be carried out. So God then had to devise a plan. And his plan was to give men a representation of what Eden could look like. Man lost the ability to understand Eden and subsequently the ability to carry out the mandate. And so now in, in Exodus, he then gives a charge to Moses. In Exodus 25, verse 8 to 9, he says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Because in order for there to 
have a sense of a kingdom, the king has to be present. So God knew that if he was to extend or to fill the earth and take back which the enemy had stolen, he had to be among his people and give them the reference point of what Eden looked like. And so he said, I'm going to tell you how to build this tabernacle so that you can see how I want to be approached. Because men had no idea or no concept of how to approach God. And so then the tabernacle was there to give him a reference point. The tabernacle was there to also show the gravity of sin. What is wrong with the sin that man has allowed in his life that puts him aside from approaching a holy God. So when these people were killing these animals and they were slaughtering them, there's blood that's filled over. It was a messy ordeal to give the understanding and the framework that sin is messy. Sin is not pretty. Sin is not beautiful because it stops you from experiencing Eden. It stops you from experiencing the kingdom. And so he tells them to build this tabernacle. And in the tabernacle... If I can open the page. And in the tabernacle, God was teaching them how to be approached and how to have fellowship with him in his now new condition in which sin is now a part of who he is. So the tabernacle was there to teach the people how God was to be approached. So here now is the tabernacle move in it. But just like Adam in Eden, sin came in and around the tabernacle as the Israelites failed to be faithful. They failed to be faithful with this tabernacle. There were limitations to the tabernacle. Only one person could go into the most holy place one time, once a year. So that meant that not everybody had the opportunity to be able to get into this holy place. And because they were nomadic, they lifted the tabernacle and they packed it up. And then when they were settling somewhere, they'd ravel it open and set it up again. So which meant that it was not a perpetual presence or a perpetual opportunity to be able to access God. So there were limitations that this tabernacle uh, possessed. And I'm glad that it's not that way anymore because David Terry would be the only one allowed into the tabernacle and we'll be sitting outside just waiting for that guy to come on and give us a good word. But, but now things are changing. Things were changing that David understood this. David saw this because now Israelites, the Israelites were now settled on a particular land. They were no longer moving from place to place. And then David makes a decision to build the Lord a temple because he understood the significance of the tabernacle. He understood the significance of approaching a holy God. But God said to David, listen, your hands are filled with blood because you are a man of war you have existed in a period of war and your hands are filled with blood and you cannot be the one to build this tabernacle to build this temple for me so then it, the charge was given to his son Solomon to be able to take up this opportunity and this is what Solomon says in 2nd Chronicles 6 verse 32 to 33 in the future Foreigners who do not belong to your people Israel will hear of you. They will come from distant lands when they hear of your great name and your strong hand and your powerful arm. And when they pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven where you live and grant what they ask of you. In this way, all the people of earth will come to know and fear you just as your own people Israel do. They too will know that this temple I have built honors your name. So if you ever needed evidence that God was not just a God for the Jews or that he just intended to be God for the Israelites, there it is right there. Even in the Old Testament, he wanted to draw in. He wanted to bring nations together. And now that the, the, the tabernacle is gone, now it's replaced by a temple that is stationary. It allowed for people from distant nations to be able to come to it, to be able to know about it, and therefore extend the influence of God in that time and moment. So that is the desire that God had as he built this temple. But how many of y'all know that sin came 
in and around the temple. And Israel as a nation fails to be faithful. And the Babylonians are allowed to come in and they destroy the temple. And the one artifact from which God spoke was gone. The Ark of the Covenant was removed from the temple. And the reason why there is failure in the tabernacle and in the temple is because of sin. What sin? Let's look at what Jeremiah says about this temple. Jeremiah chapter 7 verses 1 to 11. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, O you people of Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other, follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching declares the Lord. So Israel began to worship the temple and identify themselves by the temple as opposed to identifying themselves by the God who gave the instruction for the temple to be built. So they beat their chest and said they were better than any other nations. Why? Because they had the temple and that people had to come from far and wide to come worship at the temple which they possessed. So the temple became a form of idolatry. They began to worship the two that God had given them to use in order for them to access him instead of worshiping the true God. I've come across many a people in my life and still do who have gone or are going through very difficult moments and situations in their lives. And in that moment, they look and say, I don't understand God. I don't know that I want to worship or associate this with this God. I am mad at this God. As if to say, if you do not come through for me in the way I want you to, then I am going to cease to associate myself with you in the way that I did. It's as if we have come to worship God's answers over the one who gives the answers. Because at the end of the day, no matter what it is that you and I face, let us be found standing right at the last day. No matter what ill has come in our lives, still declaring upon our lips that he is king and that he is worth, uh, worthy of all glory. It is not what you do for me that I worship. It is because of who you are. I have seen your goodness and your glory. So I'm not going to worship the gifts that you give me. I'm going to worship you. And I understand, thank you, and I understand the hurt, I understand the pains that we go through, I understand the difficult situations and people have walked away from their faith simply because the answer didn't come the way they expected it to, simply because the answer didn't come in the way they thought this is how God should operate and they have left the faith and that means you did not know him to begin with because he's not a God to be worshipped for his goods, he's a God who's to be worshipped because he is holy and establishes everything. And that's what the Israelites failed with the temple. That was their problem with the tabernacle. Because these things were tools that were to be used so that you could access God. My son, he loves fries. <laughs> McDonald's fries, anybody in the house? Okay, I'm preaching to the choir, come on. 
he does this interesting thing when we're in the car, coming from school, and his mother says, hey, buddy, how was your day? And then he begins to respond. Then I interject too, and I say, hey, buddy, did you have a great time with your teachers? And then he goes, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to mommy. And I go, okay, buddy. How about if I've got some fries? I want some fries. And he switches his tone. And I say, oh, so now you're talking to me. Yeah, I want some fries. If you could mash those fries into a drink, I bet you that kid would drink that stuff. Because that's how much he loves fries. But there it is. He's interested to talk to me only because of the things that I can give him. Now he's almost three, so there's so much grace there. Okay. <laughs> but how about you and I? Some of us, God only hears our voices when the situation gets tough. Some of us, God only hears our voices when we're in need of something. And it's a moment of pain. Do you not see in that? We're like my son saying, I only talk to you when I want something. When I need something. And that, saints, we have got to be careful because that is a form of idolatry. Even though it's not something that you've carved out of wood and put in your house, it is still a man-made thing. The things that we desire are man-made. And when we look to those, even as a condition to just pray or talk to God, then that thing becomes more important than God. When the focus shifts to the gifts or tools the creator gives us, we sever our connection to experience Eden like falling in love with a garden tool. Has anybody ever used a rake? Powerful tool. It's amazing. So imagine the gardener gives you a rake because it's time to rake. And you're using this amazing tool. Like, oh my gosh, this is cleaning the land. This is awesome stuff. I love it. And you keep using that tool. And then God comes and says, okay, give me the rake. I'm going to give you a hose because it's time to water the ground to get it ready to plant seed. And you go, what? You don't take my rake from me? My rake gave me meaning. It gave me purpose. It did what I wanted it to do. Now you're going to take it away. What kind of God are you? I don't know about you. You don't understand these things. But God is saying, no, no. We're changing the season. We're changing the moment. You've got to let go of this tool that I've given you. It is only just a tool. But I'm changing something and I want to give you something else. And the two cannot happen together. Have you ever tried to water with a rake, with water with a hose while using a rake? You look silly. So you've got to let go of the one tool in order to pick up the other so that you can use it as a water hose. Israel today is still stuck on the temple. They still go to that wall and they place their hands and worship and pray. But there was a Messiah who came. There's a God who already came. Jesus already came and mapped out the way and introduced a new temple. One that was not made by the hands of men. Hebrews 8 and 7 says this. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. If there was no problem with the tabernacle or the temple, there would have been no need to replace them. But because they were limited in that they never dealt with the real issue, which was the sin of men, a new temple was needed that would deal with this. But this was God's plan all along. He put the tabernacle so that we could understand how to access God. He built the temple so that we could understand that he desired to expand. So the temple was saying there's more access to God, not just for the Israelites, but for the nations. And we understand this in Acts chapter 7, verse 48 to 50. The Bible says, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my throne footstool what kind of house will you build for me says the Lord or where will my resting place be 
Has not my hands made all these things? In Jesus, we have the full temple as God desired it. And that right there is the good news. Because in Jesus, there is no other temple that is coming. Because he has fulfilled all the duties and functions of the temple. Jesus is the fulfillment and fullness of the temple approach, of the tabernacle approach, and the temple expansion. I love how he introduced it. See, I had not seen this, but when you read this a little deeper, I see it. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11, verse 11 to 24. Mark chapter 11, verse 11 to 24. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple, through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said, Jesus, and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you also. So much is happening on this scene. So he goes into the temple and the temple was a beautiful structure. It was beautiful to behold when you looked at it with your eyes. People and, and, and from different nations would come to behold the beauty of this building, this temple that was built. But when Jesus went inside the temple, there was nothing. It was not producing anything. And then he goes and he sees the fig tree. And the fig tree also had leaves that looked appealing as though it was a tree that would give some figs or had fruit in it. But when he arrived at the fig tree, the Bible says that there were no figs on the tree. And so he curses the fig tree. But then he returns to the temple and that's where he begins to wipe out the money changers and wipe out the doves. Because here's the situation that he's trying to explain to us. The temple was beautiful on the outside but did not produce fruit on the inside just like the fig tree was beautiful on the outside it did not have any fruit and so because the system of old was not producing the fruit that was desired it had to be eliminated and put away and a new thing was to be introduced which is worship through Jesus because what Jesus cares about is what is on the inside in Jesus we're cleansed on the inside. Because he doesn't just stop there. He says, when you pray, when you pray. So there's the temple. It's beautiful on the outside, but the inside, no fruit. There's the fig tree. Beautiful on the outside, no fruit. But when you pray, if you just look beautiful on the outside because you raise your holy hands and you worship the Lord, but your inside is not good because you're holding a grudge, because you have got unforgiveness in your heart, because you've got things that you're allowing to settle in your heart. He says you cannot be in this position. You have to go make it right with your brother first before you come and lift up holy hands. Because what he cares about is what's on the and not what's on the outside. 
if we beautify our expression of worship just so that it looks right, we're behaving as holy, but not actually being holy. Because holiness is judged by what or who is on the inside. And this is how this is how it introduces it. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14. The Bible says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Exodus, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell amongst them. In John chapter 1, the word, okay, the word. In the beginning was the, okay, we're going to get all Bibled up in here. In the beginning was the, and the word was, so God dwelt among us. And so it's different from the tabernacle worship because God dwelling amongst us is God in us. Because you know what? The word, the word deals with sin. The tabernacle showed you the extent of your sin. The temple showed you the expansion and the desire for holiness. But only in the word are those two things happening simultaneously. The word of God takes care of sin because God is interested in what's on the inside and not what's on the outside we need to stop worrying about looking pretty and worry about being pretty on the inside we cannot let things grow and fester on the inside but come through these doors and look the part. Because in doing so, we're going back to the systems of old that failed. And yet we have access to a greater temple. And I was reading this, I got excited by this thing here. Daniel chapter 2 verse 31 and 36. Daniel chapter 2 verse 31 to 36. So Daniel is meeting with King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has refused to tell the soothsayers and all those other people that are around him what his dream is. He wants people to tell him what the dream is and subsequently give the interpretation. So Daniel is coming onto the scene and Daniel cannot interpret this dream, but God can. So God gives Daniel the dream and the interpretation, and this is what the Bible reads. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing flow in, this, in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Rock that was not made by human hands. A temple that is not made 
by human hands. And it came and destroyed all these other kingdoms. But watch the scripture here. It didn't just destroy. Once it had destroyed and everything was blown away, that stone became a mountain and filled the whole earth. Jesus is not just coming to destroy other kingdoms. He is coming to take over. Because the kingdoms of this earth will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. That is the new temple. Somebody goes clapping their hands because they're getting excited. Because that's what gets me excited. Because again, it is a replica, an understanding of what is happening in our hearts. You see, we also have kingdoms that we have started to build in our own hearts. The kingdom of depression that we have set in our own hearts that is governing our emotions, that is governing how we function. Jesus is not coming only to destroy depression, but he's coming to take over. You have the kingdom of debt that has begun to ravage your family and there's a king that's sitting there governing how your finances are going. Jesus is not coming to destroy this king. He's coming to take over. I only have four people that are working with me here. It sounds much better when all of you join in. He's coming to Okay, he's coming to take over. So I don't know what kingdoms you've begun to build in your life. I don't know what space you've allowed the enemy to occupy. But Jesus is saying he wants to destroy that with his word. And not only destroy it, he wants to? He wants to take over and gain territory. Because the mandate was already, was already said in Genesis 2, fill the earth. Not just to take up a little spot, but to fill the earth to fill my heart all of me he is coming to wipe out other kingdoms physically but also the kingdom in our hearts god is a god who takes up territory he's taking up territory he wants to take up territory and the reason is that we might be housed in Jesus Christ, living in him, moving in him, having our being in him. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is tabernacle tabernacle expression the entryway into the courtyard of the tabernacle was known as the way. There were two pillars that girded the entryway into the most holy place. They were known as the truth. And then when you went to the most holy place, you heard the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord is living, which means you had life. So he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Fulfilling all tabernacle and all temple responsibilities. In Jesus I have all that I need. And not only does he do this, because he understands your limitation and my limitation. What he then does is he takes his own blood and he goes into the tabernacle, the real one that is in heaven. And he places his blood as an atonement for your sin and my sin. That's why Pastor Josh ain't killing lambs and goats up front here. If you ever wondered. It's because Jesus took care of it once and for all. He is the temple and the high priest. And he says, come with me. And we approach the throne room of grace with confidence. Because he walks us into that holy place. That's why you pray and you say, in the name of? Because you're going into a temple that is not made by human hands. The most loving high priest you could ever walk in with. So what is our response? Now that I have Jesus in my life and heart, how do I continue to fill the earth? Number one, repent. Saints, Adam failed the tabernacle. At being faithful. Adam failed in Eden at being faithful. The Israelites failed the tabernacle at being faithful. Israel failed with the temple at being faithful. Listen, saints, we are going to fail at being faithful. 
What will work is repentance. It is the lie of the enemy to tell us that. You know, the day I received Jesus, I repented. Done. It's over. I don't need to repent no more because I got myself made. And we enter into this place where we cajole our sins. That's your struggle. I got my struggle. Everybody got struggles. This one's just mine. Cajole our sins. Make ourselves feel good while in it. I just can't stop myself. I mean, I try, but I just just can't stop. That means you don't have a repentant posture in your heart. You look into science and other voices that allow you to be okay in sin. Okay in judgment of others. Okay in the things that you see that you shouldn't be looking upon. Okay in the place that you are. Because hey, 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 there's grace, right? So I'm good. But this is what he says. Matthew chapter 3 verse 2. He says, repent. And like they amplified here, change your inner self. Your old way of thinking. Regret past sins. Live your life in a way that proves repentance. Seek God's purpose for your life. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Sin will stop you from experiencing Eden. Sin will stop you from experiencing the kingdom. If you do not let the word wash you and put you in a place and a posture of repentance, you will not see his goodness. Again, John writes in 1 John chapter 1, he writes and he says, My dear children, I write to you that you do not sin. But if you do, we have Jesus Christ who is an advocate for us. But if we say that we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and make him out to be a lie. So when you and I say we are the great ones because, I mean, we're Christians. So we're better than everybody else because we're Christians. I'm better than the Muslim. I'm better than the Buddhist. Look at me because I worship the true God. I am the great one. If we look at ourselves in that attitude and are not repentant, not realizing that 99% of the things we think and do need washing. Need washing. That's why Paul says, this is a worthy saying. Christ came to save sinners of which I am chief. I'm the top sinner. I cannot exalt myself above anybody else. I am no better than the people I look at with disdain because of their actions. If that hurts the heart of God, so too what I do that is sinful hurts the heart of God. So I've got to always be in a repentant position. Give my heart, Lord. Help me fight. Help me to stand strong. I know I know ought to do these things, and I want to overcome. I'm going to overcome. Man, if I was you and I have something that is so deep, that is so ingrained in my life, you would see me at every altar call that they offer at every service because that is how I do battle. I don't battle by trying to think through the situation or trying to make myself comfortable in it. I want to band myself with brothers. I want to band myself around with believers that will help me fight. Because I want to have a repentant posture. We need to pray for a spirit, an attitude of repentance within the church of God. Within God's church. So we don't have this grandiose view of ourselves. Number two is worship. Number one, repent. Number two is worship. At New Song, we say worship is kingship expressed. But I want to read to you also what James chapter 1 verse 27 says. He says, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The word religion there is the Greek word thrasia, which means reverence or worship. So which means we can read this this way. Pure and undefiled worship or reverence before our God and Father is this. To care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
if we minimize worship to just the songs we sing, to making sure that I raised up my hands when I sang, I felt an emotion, I cried, it was beautiful. And that's the extent of our worship, we're missing it. I worship God every Sunday because I come to a new song and we sing three songs. Check the box. I've worshipped. And even then I struggle when they change up the songs and they're new ones. I'm like, ah, why'd you stop singing that song, man? It made me feel the feels. Now they stop. Now they're singing new ones. I don't even know if this one jives. I bet this one's not going to last. How was service? because they didn't sing the songs that make you feel the feelings that you want because we have downplayed worship to just an experience at a service but true worship true worship takes care of those that are in need within our community, of the needs that we see. What kind of revival are we wanting? Do we want to feel packed this place? People sitting on the carpet everywhere, people bringing ladders and standing on the ground, on, on, on the walls. And then we say, yes, that's revival. While outside, people are hungry, people are destitute, people are struggling, but we're feeling warm and fuzzy on the inside. That is not the revival that God wants. God wants a revival in which you and I take up our post. And we see the knee that is in the city and we begin to take over. That's what he said, remember? He said he looked at the crowd. The Bible says he looked at the crowd and seeing that there were sheep without a shepherd. He cried for the crowd. And he said, pray that the Lord will send harvesters because the harvest is plenty. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you like a hen gathers its cheeks. Did I say that right? Unless you got one, I'm in. As a hen gathers its little ones. Because he saw the crowd. Do you see the crowd in Oklahoma City? Do you see the need in Oklahoma City? That's why you're here. Do you see the need in Edmond? Do you see the need in Oklahoma? Do you see the need in the United States? Do you see the need in the world? Or are we content to say, I sang the song. I got the lyrics right. And the tune touched me just right. James is calling us to understand a higher place of worship. But one is repent. Number two is worship. Perhaps we struggle to worship. Because we have not repented. Because you know, if I start doing that stuff, if people then find out my stuff, they might call me fake. So I'm going to stay away so that I'm not found out. Struggle with self-judgment. Therefore, I do not serve the widow or the orphan or the needy. Because you know what? Got stuff that I'm not dealing with. And I'm waiting for when I'm okay. I'm waiting for when things are just the way they need to be. Then I will. And then the enemy goes, yeah, keep going, baby. You stay there. You stay waiting for things to be right. I'll keep on putting stuff in front of you, and you won't do a thing. Because we don't have a posture of repentance. We don't worship. And number three is to wage war. You do know we're in a war, right? My daughter loves Pastor Ken singing in the background while we're driving. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes. And I picture Pastor Ken during the march. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Because we are in a battle. Make no mistake. You are in a battle. When I was back in Zim, this older woman took us under her wing. There's two of us. One of the other guy is my friend. He's now a pastor in, in Montana. She took us under her wing. Now this woman, she saw demons everywhere. She saw demons up, straight, around the corner, around the bend. Okay? Now, 
It wasn't always right. That's not the way it ought to be. That's not the way it ought to be. But this is one thing she taught me. She taught me about warfare prayer. Because we, we, we're in Africa, man. Witchcraft is real. Okay? You know the witch stays three houses down from you. You know that. You know shady stuff happens in different places. You move at night. Because if you move during the day, we know you're getting prosperous. And hey, some people are not going to like that. Because it's real. So now she has to teach us that now I'm under a new covenant. I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ. I have authority in his name. And so therefore, I have the opportunity to pray warfare prayers. I'm not in a place in which I have to always wait to play defense. I can also play offense because I am in a war. When you see the enemy and you have a gun, right, and the enemy comes along, you don't say, let's negotiate this and figure out how we can live amicably together. What do you do? You kill it, shoot. Only two people understand how to use a gun. When you see... When you see an enemy and it's the time of war and they're right there and you have a gun, what do you do? You shoot because you are in a war. And so she said to me that when you have these things happening in your home, when you feel like there's an attack on your home, you don't have to go, God, please save us. You can stand up and say, I declare. Declare in the name of Jesus, you have no authority over my family. You have no authority over my property because God has fought for me. Because I worship in the temple that is complete in Jesus. And in Jesus, I have the high priest who's offered the greatest sacrifice. So I stand in authority. I pray with authority. I pray with fervor. She told us to cast demons into the dry places. I don't know why, but I did it. Demons, get away and go to the dry places. Because I was standing in confidence of the salvation that I have got. And the authority that I have in Jesus Christ. Stand in the gap for your family because you're in a time of war. You're in a moment of war. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3 to 5. The Bible reads, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought. Every thought. Saints, we got to move. Man, I'm telling you, if we take this position as the church... And we move into a new way of thinking where when you see the headline and the headline in the paper is speaking about our nation, our country, our city going in a direction that is ungodly. Instead of just shaking our head and discussing it in a tweet or a text, we stand up and we say, okay, I got to take up my position because I know that God has called me at this time, in this moment, to be able to stand in authority. And I begin to say, devil, you have no right in this city. You have no right with this new direction that you are taking people. You have no right in this deception. I speak against you in the name of Jesus. If we take up that position, what would happen to our city but perhaps perhaps we don't wage war because we don't worship because we don't see the widow we don't see the orphan we don't see the destitute we don't see the struggle perhaps we don't worship the way James has said so to us Everything is a-okay. I get to go to church. I did my thing. I went home. Everything's great. The only struggles I see is that I failed to buy milk. I failed to meet the rent like I thought I should. Groceries are expensive nowadays. That's as far as the struggle is. So when you pray, you wage war to get your rent paid. You just wage war 
Make sure you have milk. And continually, things don't add up. They never come together. Because perhaps you have not seen that there is struggling out there. The reason you don't see it because you don't have a repentant heart. So if we repent, it allows us to worship. And our hearts, man, if you see, if you see the need that people have out there, and you have access to this temple, this amazing temple in Christ Jesus, would you not want somebody to come with you and experience the beauty and the magnificence of a temple that not only looks beautiful on the outside, but produces fruit and fruit that lasts. It's a challenge, new song. Not a condemnation, but a challenge that we can rise up and make a difference within our generation. That we are called, you and I, in this time, at this moment, to do more than just come to church. Would you stand with me? How do I access this temple? I have to repent. Why? Because I've got to worship. For what purpose? I've got to wage war. Commissioned to expand. To wage war. To occupy. And that was Pastor Josh's last message at Blocks. And he taught us that if we don't occupy, the enemy will. If we don't occupy the places that we're leaving alone, the enemy will. And God wants to gain territory. He wants to occupy more. And we are the agents that he wants to use. Moses is not here. He's dead. Paul is not here. He's dead. You think of any hero you want to call and shout out in the Bible, they're dead. Jesus is here in our hearts to be able to expand his kingdom. So I want to pray for you and commission you as a soldier today. If this is something that you feel like you're not ready, you don't have to raise your hand when I, when I pray. But I want to pray to commission us to take up our positions as soldiers. Listen, I'm going to pray that God troubles you at 2 a.m. in the morning. And what you get up doing is not praying for yourself, but praying for your city. Praying for your region. Praying for change. So if you're not ready to do that, you don't have to commit. But if you are, please raise your hands with me. Father, with every hand that is raised, I pray that a burden begins to blaze on their heart for the place and positions that you have given them. To take up territory to understand the importance that they have in this time, in this moment, in this region and place that you have set them. I pray that gifts begin to come out of each and every single one of us whose hands are raised. That our understanding of our calling and purpose becomes sure. That we put a sure footing about the place in which we are, that we know God, that we will occupy and Eden will expand, that we will fill this earth and we will live with dominion. I thank you that these are men and women ready to lay it all down. Because to overcome the enemy, your word says they overcome by the word of the testimony, the blood of the Lamb, and loving our lives not unto death. So here we are, placing our lives at your feet to say, we will take up arms and we will fight in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask the altar ministers to come. As soldiers in the army, sometimes we take shots and the enemy actually hits. So this moment here is a moment where you come up for prayer to say, I've been hit, I've been injured, I need a band-aid, I need something to help me so I can heal. And the reason you're going to heal or you need to heal is so that you can continue to fight. The reason to heal is not that to just say that you were healed, although that is part of it, but to say I'm healed so I can continue to fight. If you're struggling in your mind with who you are, your purpose. If you're struggling in your heart and you're struggling to lean not on your own understanding. This is the time that you come and you say, hey, I know I'm a soldier. But some things have happened and I need patching up. And so you come to the front 
and we pray with you. Don't let this moment pass you by. Fight. Fight for your life. Fight for your family. Fight for your region. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for the seeds you have planted today. Whatever is of man may fall to the ground and not yield anything, but whatever word came from you, Lord, may it yield so much fruit. And I believe that New Song Church will play a pivotal position and place in the revival of this nation, in the revival of this world. And I thank you that we will see your goodness in the land of the living, in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.